wrapping the names of Jesus during this Advent season. And if you're a regular attender here at BCC, you've been going through the Advent devotional with us these past few weeks, preparing your heart and your family's heart for Christ's birth. We've been growing in understanding more about who Jesus is as we've been unwrapping the names of Jesus. We've talked about how he's our great and high priest, how he is king of kings and lord of lords. We've talked about how Jesus is the good shepherd, he's the truth, he's the way, he's the life, and he's the Messiah. And there's so many wonderful things to deepen our understanding of who he is. But ultimately, as we unwrap these names of Jesus, I think that we have to answer the question, is he good? Especially when what we experience in our lives may not seem or feel good. You see, the four previous messages in this series, we've detailed these concepts about Jesus and we've unwrapped these ideas about his name. And we've said things like, even when all hope seems lost, Jesus is the Messiah who proves God fulfills his promises. And what we mean when we say that is that we can look through scripture and we can see how from the very beginning in the book of Genesis, how God made promises to his people and how Jesus is the one who has fulfilled those promises and proves that not only has God fulfilled the promises of the past, but that he's also going to fulfill the promises of the future that he is going to return for us again, so we can trust in that. We've talked about how obedience to Jesus as King of Kings and Lord of Lords is the application of trust. Basically, we're, we're saying, Jesus, we love this concept and this idea of you being our Savior and how you forgive us of our sins, but that's just one side of the equation. There's this idea of him being Lord and how we must submit, how we must trust, and the way that we live that out is through our obedience. It's not just about hearing a good message or reading the Bible, uh, checking a, a box. It's about taking the things that we're inspired to do and moved to do and convicted to do and compelled to do and led to do and actually following through with those things and obeying. And that's saying, Jesus, I trust what you say, even when my definition of good may conflict with what feels good or seems good. I still trust you and I'm going to obey you. And then we talked about how Jesus is our great high priest and he represents us before God so that when God looks at us, he sees the perfection of Jesus on the inside of us. This is what the apostle Paul said when he said, the great mystery has been revealed. It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. So that way you're not having to trust in your own aspirations for perfection. You're not trusting in your own good deeds. You're not trusting in what you can do, but rather you're trusting in the perfection of Jesus Christ the sinless one who lived his life sinless so that we, by faith, can trust that he took the punishment that you and I deserve. That's the good news of the gospel, this great exchange. And Jesus is that high priest, that mediator who entered into the very presence of God now once and for all so now that you and I can trust in him as the way, the truth, and the life. And that's how Jesus has gone before us and how we can be righteous in the eyes of God. And then last week we talked about how trust requires that we let go of our definitions of good. We let go of our desires for control and we must look to Jesus, the good shepherd, because he has proved his love for us. Every one of us have this idea to wanna to go our own way, but yet if we're gonna trust in the goodness of God, then that means that when things happen in our life where this intersection comes into play, where we wanna go one way, but yet we see God leading us another way and we come to that crossroads of conflict, we have to trust that his definition of good, the 
that it's better than my definition of good. That it's even better than my concept of what good is because he's the one that gets to define goodness because he in himself is truly goodness and he is the good shepherd. Romans 5 and 8 talks about how when we were sinners, Christ died for us. How he proved his love for us when we least deserved it. How we commit to serve and follow him because of his goodness, because of his faithfulness, because of his love and his promises to us. He chose to die. And think about this. He chose to come as a baby. This means no one is or ever will be higher or greater than Jesus. So even with all of his power, with all of this authority, he chose to come at the appointed time in history and insert himself to come as the sacrificial lamb of God. He sovereignly chose to come as a baby. He could have appeared as a fully grown man, but he chose to come as a baby, a powerless baby that depended on his mother for everything for a season. He needed that, that food, that shelter, that, 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 that uh, the person to provide for him. He chose to come that way. And he identifies with us, with humanity, in every way, because he was once this helpless infant. He came in the most unexpected ways, and he did things very differently than people expected him to. And maybe there's times in your life where he's coming in ways that are unexpected because sometimes we have it all figured out in our head and we want to control the outcomes. We want to control our definition of goodness and what we think he should do in our timing, but yet he, he gets to be good by his definition because he proves his ultimate goodness because we see he fulfills his promise. We see he's faithful. Some of you maybe are here on this Christmas Eve and you're going through the motions of a religious tradition, perhaps. Some of you have maybe come here looking for hope, and maybe some of you have given up on that hope. Some of you may be looking for something to actually hold on to. Some of you may be at a place where you're actually wrestling with trusting in the goodness of God. You're hearing this message of goodness, but maybe what you're experiencing isn't good and you're wrestling because you're wondering, how could a good God allow this to be happening in my life or these challenges that I'm facing. And a lot of times when people are caught in the middle of that, it causes us to casually commit to Christ and not really fully living, trusting in him, trusting that Jesus is Messiah, trusting that he's Lord of Lords, trusting that he's the great high priest and that he's the good shepherd. Because maybe what's happening right now in your life isn't very good. But I wanna encourage you on the eve of celebrating his birth, that he is good, even when you don't see it, even when you don't feel it. So don't live your faith casually. Don't just connect with God and with Christian people in church just a few times a year or, or when tragedy strikes in your life. Maybe this Christmas Eve, today, is your opportunity to press through, to grow. Perhaps this is a day that will mark a turning point in your life for you, where you see that the greatest gift that was ever given was a baby born in a manger, where you see the character and the heart of God, that God is good, and goodness is not defined by our comfort. Goodness is no longer defined by us getting our way. Perhaps today you recognize that God has really never left your side, even through your struggles. I want to encourage you to find a greater joy this Christmas by having your eyes and your heart fixed on the attributes of Jesus that remain true no matter how you may feel. 
no matter what you may be going through. And that you can find the greater joy in following Jesus. You can find greater joy by connecting to Christ and connecting to a Christ-centered community, a church to other believers who share in the same passion, who give God glory, who show others God's love, who connect others to making their lives count and, and loving on other people right where they're at and influencing and impacting eternity. This requires for us to think differently towards our life purpose. And maybe today is the day that the story of Christmas comes alive in your heart so you can receive the forgiveness and the change that only God can give, the type of change that's real, the type of change that impacts us at the deepest level and trust that Jesus truly is good. You see, long ago, about 2,000 years when King Herod ruled Judea, which is now part of Israel, God sent the angel Gabriel to a young woman who lived in the northern town of Nazareth. The girl's name was Mary, and she was engaged to marry a man by the name of Joseph. The angel Gabriel said to Mary, peace be with you. God has blessed you. He's pleased with you. And Mary was very surprised by this, and she wondered, what did this mean? The angel said to her, Mary, don't be afraid. God has been very kind to you, and you're going to become pregnant by the Holy Spirit. You're going to give birth to a baby boy, and you're going to call his name Jesus. He will be God's own son, and his kingdom is never going to end. Mary was very afraid, but she trusted God. And she said to the angel, let this happen as she chooses. God, Gabriel also told Mary that her cousin Elizabeth, who everyone thought was too old to have children, was also going to have a baby boy whom God was going to use to prepare the way for Jesus. So Mary said goodbye to her family and her friends, and she went to go visit her cousin Elizabeth and her husband Zechariah. Elizabeth was very happy to see Mary because she knew that Mary had been chosen by God to be the mother of his son. An angel had already told Zechariah that Elizabeth's baby would prepare people to welcome Jesus, and his name was to be called John. Mary stayed with Elizabeth about three months, and then they returned to Nazareth. And then Joseph started worrying that when he found out that Mary was expecting a baby before their marriage had taken place, he was wondering if perhaps maybe he should put the wedding off altogether. But then an angel appeared to Joseph in a dream, and the angel said, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. The angel explained that Mary had been chosen by God to be the mother of his son and told Joseph that the baby would be named Jesus, which means Savior, because he's going to save the world. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel had told him, and he took Mary as his wife. Now, at this time in the land where Mary and Joseph lived, it was part of the Roman Empire. The Roman Emperor Augustus, he wanted to have a list of all the people in the empire to make sure that they paid their taxes. He ordered everyone to return to the town where their families originally came from and enter their names into a register or a census there. Mary and Joseph traveled a really long way, like 70 miles from Nazareth to Bethlehem because that's where Joseph's family came from. Most people walked. There were some people lucky enough to like have a donkey or an animal to help carry the goods needed for the journey. And here, Joseph and Mary traveled really slowly because Mary's baby was due to be born very soon. When they had reached Bethlehem, they had a lot of problems finding somewhere to stay because so many people had come from far away to register their names in the census. And so every house was full, every bed was taken, all of the inns were maxed out. The only shelter that they could find was a stable or a cave with animals. And in this unexpected place, in this unexpected way, in this poor place, 
Mary gave birth to Jesus, the Son of God. In those days, it was custom to wrap newborn babies tightly in a long cloth called swaddling clothes. Jesus' bed was the manger that the animals ate their hay from. In the hills and fields, in the hills and fields outside of Bethlehem, Shepherds were watching their sheep through the long night, and as the new day began, suddenly an angel appeared before them, and the glory of God shone all around them. The shepherds were very, very afraid, but the angel said, don't be afraid. I have good news for you and for all people. Today in Bethlehem, a Savior has been born. You will find the baby lying in a manger. And then when the angel said this, many more angels appeared, and it appeared, and it lit up the whole night sky. The shepherds heard them praising God and they were singing glory to God in the highest and peace to everyone on earth. When the angels had gone, the shepherds said to one another, we have to go to Bethlehem and see what has happened. So the shepherds went to Bethlehem and they found Mary and Joseph, just as the angel had said, he was lying in a manger. And when they saw him, they told everyone about the angels and they told everyone about this baby that was born and everyone who heard was astonished. Then the shepherds returned to their sheep, praising God for sending his son to be their savior. And when Jesus was born, a brand new bright star appeared in the sky. Some wise men in a faraway country saw the star and they wondered what it meant. And they were very clever men. They studied the stars and they had read in some very old writings that when a new star appeared that a king was born. They set out to find this new king and to bring him gifts. These wise men followed the star towards the country of Judea. And when they got to the capital called Jerusalem, they began to ask people, where is this child who is this great king of the Jews that was born? Herod, the king of Judea, he heard about these wise men asking for this new king. And it made him very angry because he thought someone was after his place as king. And so he sent for the wise men to come and to see him. And he told them, he said, why don't you guys keep following this star until you find this new king? And when you find him, let me know where he is so I can come and worship him. But Herod did not tell them that he really had an evil plan in mind to kill the new king. The wise men followed the star towards Bethlehem where it said the king would be born in the old writings. And it seemed to stop and shine directly down upon the place where Jesus was. The wise men entered the house where they now lived and they found Jesus with Mary and they bowed down, they worshiped him. The wise men spread the gifts they had brought before Jesus. They were gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And the wise men were warned in a dream by God not to go back to Herod. So they returned home to their countries in the east a different way. When the wise men had gone, an angel appeared to Joseph in a dream. The angel said, get up, take Jesus and Mary and escape to Egypt. Stay there till I tell you. For Herod is going to search for Jesus to try to kill him. So Joseph got up, took Jesus and Mary during the night, and they left, for Je they left for Egypt, where he stayed until Herod died. Now when Herod realized that he'd been tricked by the wise men, he was furious. He gave orders to kill all of the boys who were aged two years and younger in Bethlehem and surrounding areas. He was trying to kill the new king, but his plan had failed. After Herod died, Joseph had another dream where the angel appeared and he said, get up, take Jesus and Mary, go back to Israel for everyone who has been trying to kill Jesus is now dead. So Joseph got up, took Jesus and Mary and they went back to Israel. But when Joseph heard that Herod's son was now king of Judea, he was afraid to go there. So instead, he took his family to Galilee and lived in their old town of Nazareth. It was in Nazareth where Jesus would grow up and he would eventually begin to teach he would eventually begin to perform miracles. 
He would eventually begin to proclaim the kingdom of God. And he would eventually die on the cross for the sins of mankind as the ultimate sacrifice for you and for me. This baby that was born in a manger, which we're celebrating, is Jesus Christ. And here's the beautiful part of the story, is that he's not dead, although he experienced the sting of death, he's alive. He's our king, he's our Lord, and he loves you and he loves me. The ultimate gift that could ever have been given has been brought by the hands of our loving God. And although it didn't perhaps come in the way that we thought, although it came in a different way, it's still the greatest gift of all. And it's this truth of God's great gift. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish but will have everlasting life. And if you are here and if you would like to receive this gift from God today, all it takes is faith. It takes trusting in Jesus' death on the cross, that that was sufficient for the payment of the sins of the world. That means you, that means me. That's what scripture's talking about in the book of Romans, chapter 10 and verse nine. If you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that you will be saved. And if you're being confronted with that reality of God's gift of grace today, you can be saved. No matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, no matter how far you've gone in life, no matter the mistakes you've made, Jesus' gift of grace is sufficient to forgive you. That's why he's always good, no matter how I feel. That's why he's always good, no matter how good I've been, because we've all sinned. Our good works, our good deeds don't make us Christians. Our religious traditions, our ceremonies don't save us. Religious rites don't forgive us. They don't make us right in the eyes of God. If they did, then we could have confidence in what we did and how we followed everything perfectly. You see, the freeing truth today is that you only need to have confidence in what Jesus has done, not what you have done. If you're making that commitment today, then confess with your mouth. Right now, that belief in your heart that Jesus, I believe in you, that I receive your grace, that I admit that I'm a sinner and I need your forgiveness and you're the only one who can make me right in the eyes of God. If you have made a similar commitment, we wanna help you grow because this is only the beginning of your new faith journey. If you are sincere, then you need to get plugged into a good Bible-believing, Bible-teaching church to help you grow and as you grow, then remember to press in, to press through, because the joy of the Lord is worth it. Having a relationship with God is worth it. He cares for you. And perhaps this Christmas Eve will be the most memorable one of your life because you made that best decision you could ever make. Make Jesus Savior and Lord. The decision to follow him. And maybe if you're here and you're already a follower of Jesus, then maybe this message today was intended to help you to continue to grow, to not stop growing in your awe of who he is, to not let goodness be defined by how you feel, but to remember the free gift of grace that was given, that you would live a life focused on loving God and loving people and serving, a life spent helping others to hear and to see and experience the greatest story ever told the greatest message that anyone could ever hear, the greatest message that 
helps us to remember that God is always good, whether I feel it or whether I don't, because I remember the richness of his promise. I remember what he's done and how faithful he's been and that he is King of kings and Lord of lords and he's worthy to be trusted. Let me pray for us. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity as we think about your goodness, as we think about your grace, as we think about this gospel, this good news that while we were yet sinners that Christ died for us. So Jesus, we ask that as you're moving in the hearts of the people that are here or that are watching online, we ask that, Holy Spirit, you would draw people to you, to you. Draw people to the goodness of the truth. Draw people to be able to lay down their ideas of good and comfort and be able to embrace your definition of good. To trust that you are faithful no matter what they may be experiencing and to be able to have a renewed joy and a renewed awe so that we can worship you and live for you. We thank you for this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Now we're going to sing a song together and the ushers are gonna begin to light the candles that you would have gotten when you walked in. And I just wanna remind you real quick, just a logistical thing. If you have the lit candle, don't tip it over. Tip the candle that's unlit over into the flame. And as they're going out and lighting the candles, I want you to not just think, oh, this is a nice Christmas tradition. It gives me the warm fuzzies and I like looking at the lights and I hope my child doesn't set the church on fire. If it, I don't want you to just think about those things. I, I, I want you to actually look at this as a, as, as a picture, as a symbol of what Christ has done because I want you to think about how this room that's dark right now, this room that's dark, it, it can maybe feel like your situation. It can feel like your, your challenge that you may be experiencing. It can maybe feel like what you go back to at work or what you have to deal with with certain family members. You feel dark and can't see a lot of hope or see where it's going. It may feel like your marriage right now. It may feel like some difficulty or addiction that you're wrestling with. But I wanna tell you that that light, as we hold it and as we sing, I hope that it gives you a picture that that light begins to push back the darkness. And the more that we surround ourselves with light, it seems that that darkness just gets pushed back and things become clearer. And may Jesus be that light in you, for you, and for other people who are seeing your light, that they may find hope in Jesus Christ. Let's sing together as we worship together with these candles lit. <laughs> 